you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Morning. I am thankful to be here. I am grateful to be here. Uh, It is an honor and a joy to be here. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us this morning. Um, So about uh, uh, 10 years, a little maybe a little shy of 10 years ago, um, I noticed my vision started getting worse. Uh, I noticed my eyes were feeling really itchy. Things were starting to get a little blurry, um, especially from things off in the distance. And so for the very first time in my life, I went to an optometrist to go get my eyes checked out. Uh, and, they, and they did an exam. They said, yep, you're going to need some glasses. They got me a prescription. They put that big machine over my eyes at the test. Uh, and they gave me a prescription for these glasses. And I remember I was getting excited when I got the glasses that I was going to put them on. Because all these people had told me that as your eyes degrade, as they kind of lose uh, the quality of vision, uh, that you'll put those glasses on and then you'll see like clearly again. And you'll remember how clear the world can look. With, 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 good, with a good vision. And I was excited to put these glasses on. I put the glasses on, and oh my goodness, the world looked so distorted to me. It was incredibly, I mean, things that were really far off seemed really close. The things that were close seemed far off. Um, you know, objects were bent and crooked in weird ways. Um, I felt like my life had become a Dr. Seuss book. In part, I think maybe Dr. Seuss, when he was drawing some of this stuff, I don't even know if he drew his own stuff, but as he did that, it was just because he had the glasses on and everything just became uh, crooked as he, as, he, as he wrote things out. And they told me, they said, hey, your eyes just need to adjust, right? You just need to give it some time, give it a few days. Uh, I had those glasses on for weeks, and, and, and it never got better. And I actually felt like half the time I felt like I was drunk, walking around, stumbling, everything seemed blurry, right? I had to hold on to things because everything was distorted. I felt like my whole balance was off. It felt crazy. And after a couple weeks, I thought, this, is, this isn't working. And so I went back to the doctors, and I went back to the optometrist, and I said, hey, can you guys check this out? Something's not right here. And they, and they did the test again, and they said, oh, yeah, we, well, we had the wrong prescription, so they gave me a new prescription. I put the same glasses on, a new pair of glasses on, or a new, new lens on. A week goes by, same exact thing. I go back. And they say, oh, man, we got the wrong prescription again. <laughs> Third time's the charm. A week goes by, nothing, right? It's, it's crazy. I, just, I can't even have the glasses on. My, my life is too, it's too hard trying to, trying to look at life through the wrong lens, right? And so I go back this third time saying something's not right. And so they say, you know, we're going to send you to a cornea specialist. And I was like, please do, right? And so they send me there. And then, and then and the doctor was like, your eyes look a little weird. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and they said they're a little, and so then they did some tests and they said, oh, you have, you have this weird eye disease, uh, called keratoconus, which makes it actually very hard for us to give you uh, prescription glasses. Like, you, you, there's a certain type you have, and they were just like, I don't even know if it's worth you getting it at this age because your eyes are just degrading, and so, you know, sorry, <laughs> right? It, it's hard to do, right? Well, to make, a, you know, a long story short, right, um, the, those prescriptions were not working for me. 
And I kept getting the wrong lens, the wrong glasses, and all it did is it made life look more distorted. And I think there was a little life lesson in there. Um, When we have the wrong prescription, when we start seeing life through the wrong lens, it affects everything we see, and then it affects everything that we do. It disorientates us. It disorientates our world view. Well, we're today, we're, we're, we're finishing up, we're wrapping up this series, the summer series we've been in, in the book of Philippians. And some of the last words that Paul writes to the Philippian church is he praises them. He celebrates them. Because they were investing in a way that demonstrated that they had the right lens for life that they had the right perspective of what mattered and what didn't. Well, let's jump into a a word of prayer. I never like to get into a sermon without going before God. If you guys would just join me in a prayer, and then we're going to jump right into the text right after. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for um, this opportunity that you have given each one of us to be here in community. And God, I thank you for each one of us for the eager hearts, those who are curious, Lord, to learn, to grow, to change our perspective, to adapt it and mold it to the one that you want for us. And Father, I ask that you speak to each one of our hearts, not my words, Lord, but that you speak to each one of our hearts in the way that you have planned. And Father, I ask that you would not let a word come out of my mouth that is not from you, that does not honor you this morning, Lord change any agenda I have that is not yours this morning. Lord, let the, the words of, 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 of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, Lord, be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this morning, we, we're going to be in uh, Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 14 through, we're going to be reading 14 through 19 today. So hear the word of God. It's on the screen. You can join with us uh, if you have your Bibles. Starting in, in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintances with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received uh, received from Epaphroditus the gifts you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now this morning, we're going we're gonna to mostly look at verse 14 and really unpack what he says here in 14, where he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What is he talking about? 
And I think to, to best understand this, we actually need to rewind a little bit. We've got to look at some of the verses that come before this. Now, I'm not going to repeat uh, last week's sermons by any means. We're just going to look at a, like a 10,000-foot perspective of what's going on in this, these two verses and what that conversation, how that conversation has flowed to this point with Paul. But I want to look at uh, verse 10. Uh, uh, Paul said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And this, this is what I want us to see, right? Uh, Paul is recognizing that this, this church, the church of Philippi, was demonstrating a concern for him and his ministry, the ministry that he was, working, he was doing. And ultimately, he, he was grateful for it. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, Now I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So he's saying, I'm, I'm not grateful because I, I need something from you. Right? right, right. Why, is he, why is he grateful? It wasn't because that there was some need that this church was fulfilling. Right? Paul wasn't saying, hey, I'm happy because I'm getting something, I'm getting money from you. And then he goes on and gives that like humble brag, a very famous humble brag where he says, well, because I have learned to be content, right? I, I didn't need anything. I have found my needs fulfilled in Jesus. I, I do not need anything more. Now, minus all the deeper theology and the most beautiful stuff that comes in those words that Paul writes earlier on, a very simple reading shows us something, right? That Paul, who was this church planter, he was this uh, global missionary. He traveled around the world, starting churches, evangelizing, right, spreading the gospel. Right? There were real monetary financial needs that came with that. It costs money to get on a boat. It costs money to eat, to live. It costs money to start churches. And this church of Philippi showed concern. They wanted to help carry the burden of that, and so they financially contributed they cared about his mission by investing it. They funded it. They helped funded it, right? That's, that's what Paul is, is talking about here. So Paul's response is, I'm delighted, but not because I'm benefiting. I don't need your money, right? Yet, I'm happy you gave. And this takes us back to our, our primary verse today in 14, where he says, yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And that yet is a response to everything he had just said. Right? He, when he's talking about, even though I'm content, even though I don't really need your money, it was good. Yet it was good that you wanted to share in the burden. You wanted to help share the burden. And for that, I'm grateful. Now, Jesus... And Paul, they talk a lot about money over the course of the New Testament. Uh, and one thing it's very important to understand as we read uh, what they say, it's important to understand, right, um, they don't want your money. Right? Sometimes as, we, as, we, uh, as we, we, we might get ideas, creative ideas, that when we hear uh, Jesus and Paul or the church talking about money, we just think it's some kind of a scheme to get money. But really, a fraction of of research and thought into it will, will show us otherwise, right? Um, Jesus talked a lot about money. It's absolutely true. He talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell or even sex. But he never asked for it. He never asked for it. In fact, um, some of the clearest commands that he has about what to do with your money 
is one, right, he tells somebody to go give it to the poor. And in another place, he tells, it, he tells them to, to, to give, to pay taxes, right? And ironically, right, Jesus wasn't necessarily pro-Roman government back in the day. And he also had said about the poor, he said, the poor is going to always be with you. You'll never solve that problem. Right, and so in an interesting way, what he's telling people to do with money, it's like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right, it's not the impact of your money that is what he's going after. He didn't want your money. He never asked for money himself, right? And Paul, in the very same way, right, Paul doesn't ask for money. In fact, um, you know, even though he says like, hey, you should financially contribute to those who are preaching, or right? they should make their money that way, he actually gives another kind of a humble brag, where he almost, he almost is boasting, he's prideful about the fact that he says, you know, I work a day job so that I would never be a burden. So that financially, that, that people would never say, you know what, I'm not interested in church because all they want is my, uh, my money. He worked a day job building tents, making tents, so that that would never be an excuse. Right? And so, so there's his pride. He, he, he didn't want your money, right? So what's the point? Paul didn't care about the Philippians' money. That's not what he's grateful for. That's not what he's celebrating. So why was he grateful that they gave? Looking at uh, verse 17, Paul said, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. What does that mean? Uh, it means that he cares about the giver and not the gifts. And he cares about the act of giving not the gifts. And he goes on in 18, and he says, they, right, speaking about the gifts, are a fragrant offering to, uh, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And it's something important to remind ourselves, right, whenever we, we look at uh, sacrifices in the Bible, right, to God, sacrifices aren't pleasing to him because he's getting something from it. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need your money. God is not trying to buy the newest Tesla model, and he needs a little more money from you to get that. Right? And you look back into the Old Testament, right? and when there, people were putting animals or grain sacrifices out there, it wasn't, God wasn't trying to get grain or animal from, from people. That's not what he was interested in. Right? Sacrifices were always pleasing to God because it shows what we trust. And it shows what our priorities are. We take something we think we need and we put it before God and say, I don't. I need you more. Right? And so for, for the Philippians to invest in a ministry that they would not receive anything back from. It's not even like they're investing in their own church. It's for a church that's overseas. It's for churches elsewhere. Right? To support Paul's church planning efforts, what it shows is that it shows they care more about God's mission than they care about their own comforts. It demonstrates something deeper. And I think you're going to find this, that consistently throughout Scripture, God doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. But what you do with your money is often a reflection of you. And that, that is why God and Jesus and Paul talk so much about money. And one of the best teachings Jesus gives on, on money and, and treasures comes in Matthew 6. 
And there's a much uh, longer, uh, much, much uh, bigger passage on it, but I'm going to just condense it to just a couple of verses for us this morning. In verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What does that mean, right? Not to to go too deep into this, but what does that mean? It means that your eyes determine what what, what your whole body is going to do, what your whole life is going to do, right? What you spend your time looking at, and that there's some literal meaning to that, right? When you're driving a car, and you're looking at the accident to the left of you, right, what sometimes happens is you begin to swerve, right? 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 What you change your gaze to physically can actually change where you are moving. But it also means something symbolically, right? What you spend your time looking at, what you spend your time thinking about, the things you go to bed worrying about, the things you wake up in the morning hopeful for, expectant of, the things that, that drive you every single day to get up, to work, to move, whatever it is. The things you might even be praying about the most, right? Um, what you look at will direct your life. Eventually, it becomes the very treasure of your heart. It shapes the desire in your heart, and ultimately, it will shape and mold and determine who you are and what you do. Uh, we, we were just on vacation just earlier this week, uh, and we went up to Orange County, and we visited uh, the Aquarium of the Pacific, right? We had a blast. We went around. My kids all love fishes and sharks and animals and all kinds of stuff, and, and my, my, my oldest daughter, Laura Lee, right? I remember her running around. She said, Daddy, I know you said I was going to like this place, and I love it. She was having a blast, and then at the end of our day at the aquarium, we went uh, to the uh, gift store. We made a stop at the gift store, and, and Laura Lee, she's, she's five years old, uh, she found this little stuffed animal. It was this little stingray, and she had become infatuated with it. She just completely fell in love with it. She was holding on to it. She was snuggling it, right? She just loved it. And then she comes and asks me in her kind, sweet little voice and says, can I take it home? And me, being the gracious, loving, kind father I am, said, no! We have too many stuffed animals that you don't play with. We don't need another one, right? Don't, you can't just see something and then get it. That's not how life works, right? We don't need another stuffed animal. So what do you think happens, right? She wants it more. All of a sudden, it's like you're trying to take this away from me. This is what I want more. And she starts breaking down in tears. She's so sad. And so then I say I'm going to start teaching one of those great dad lessons, Right? Stop worrying about the stuffed animal. Start enjoying the trip. Look at where we are. We're having fun. Remember, you just had so much fun walking around seeing sharks and dolphins and whatever else is there. Right? I enjoy this aquarium. Enjoy this experience. And we're going to go back to the, 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 the hotel and we're going to go swim in the pool. It's going to be a blast. Right? Stop focusing and fretting over a stuffed animal that you're not going to care about tomorrow. Right? I said all this, you know, typical dad, boring lesson stuff, right? Trying to be a wise guy. But she wouldn't let go. 
She would hold on to it more and more and more, and then I realized that the problem is, is that her gaze is now on this stuffed animal, and nothing else matters. It's all she was thinking about, and she couldn't think beyond what was right in front of her two eyes. She couldn't look beyond that. So then as I said, all right, that's it. Let's go. We're going. We're walking now. We're going to go right to the car. And she bursts out into tears. She's crying the whole way to the car. She's thinking about it. She's talking about how this poor stingray has got to go back into the, the bin of other stingrays. And it's going to be forgotten. And no one will ever get it. Crying her sweet little heart out back to the car. She gets in the car. And within two minutes, she falls asleep. And then we get to the hotel. And then I wake her up. And I say, hey, Lorley, do you want to go swim in the pool? And she's happy. Smiling, yes, let's go swim in the pool, let's go play. Never spoke about the stingray again. Side note, please don't bring up the stingray to my daughter. <laughs> now, she's only five, uh, and it's a story of a stuffed animal, but I realize uh, I operate in a very, very similar way. I tend to focus on what is right in front of me. I fix my gaze on something, and all of a sudden, my life, my thought process, everything starts evolving around that. And the more I look at it, the more I want it, the more I think about it, the more I begin to even obsess over it. And all of a sudden, it's the only thing that matters. And that becomes then the treasure of my heart. And my life and my actions start evolving around that. The reason Jesus talks so much about money isn't because he wants your money. It is because he cares about your life. He cares about your heart being healthy. He wants you to have the right priorities, the right lens for life. And he doesn't want you wasting your life by fixing your eyes on the wrong things. Often, those people who are most reluctant to give, and I'm saying often, often care about their money the most. Because it shows what their treasure is. And sometimes it's because they don't have enough of it. And we think, well, this is what I need. And so we hold on to it tighter. And it becomes our hope, it becomes our love, it becomes our, 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 our security blanket. This is what I need. And often, the people who are most generous, and I'm not talking about the amount, I'm talking about the heart of generosity. The people who are most generous with their money are those who care the least about it. Because their real treasure is somewhere else. Right? And it makes me think of the story of, of the, the widow with Jesus at the temple where he sees his widow, you know, give her, her two cents. And everyone else is giving, you know, out of their wealth. And Jesus says, now that woman just gave more than anyone else. Right? Because she gave out of her need. It was her way of saying, this is all I got, but it's yours. This is how much I trust you. And Jesus said, that, that is generosity. That is somebody who really trusts God. Uh, money often is what our eyes are, are often reveals what our eyes and our heart are most fixed on. And this is the very reason why Paul celebrates the Philippians. Their money showed where their heart was. Money can be an incredibly easy distraction for our eyes and our heart 
to get so, because we get so fixed on it. But it's also not the only thing our eyes and our heart can get fixed on. What are you fixing your eyes on right now? What is your treasure right now? Where is your gaze? Where is your focus? In 2 Corinthians, Paul offers us some wisdom on this. Let's take a look at in uh, verse 418. This is what Paul writes. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's wisdom is, is pretty straightforward, right? Don't fix your eyes on things that are temporary, things that don't matter, things that 100 years from now you're not going to care about, right? Um, invest, prioritize, focus, treasure things that have eternal impact. Those are the things that matter most. Make sure your priorities are properly aligned. I would argue that when you stop and consider our faith, the promises of Jesus, heaven and hell, the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus, all of the things within Scripture, when you stop and consider the grandness of all of that, everything that Jesus said and everything that the Bible promises for us, it seems kind of crazy and ridiculous and even childlike to let our eyes get fixed on anything that isn't Jesus or something that Jesus cared about. When you consider the promises of eternity and you consider the promises of God, it seems crazy that we let ourselves get fixated on anything else other than what Jesus loved and Jesus cared about. Do you ever look back about the things that you fixed your eyes on 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Have you ever had ambitions or pursuits that, you, that, that later you, you thought were a complete waste of time? In life, when you go and you think back, you're like, man, why did I spend so much time thinking about that or worrying about that or trying to do that? Uh, I, I, have, uh, I have always enjoyed playing video games. Uh, I grew up playing games. I still like to play games as often as I can. Right? I have fun. That's something I do. I remember it was in middle school, maybe, maybe a little before middle school. Uh, there was this one game I, I got really into, had a lot of fun on it. Um, and, and, and this game... There was this certain enemy that, for whatever reason, I got so fixated that I, I wanted to kill this bad enemy, this, kill this, this, this monster in this game. And the funny thing is, is that you didn't have to beat the monster. You didn't have to fight it. You didn't have to do it. And I don't even think that the, the game engineers, the designers, intended you to do it. Like, the, the creature existed so that there was this thing in there that no one could defeat. It was this unbeatable monster. But some people figured out a crazy way of doing it. And all of a sudden, that became the thing I had to do. Tell me I can't do something, and now I have to do it, right? Like, I'm determined to do it. And I remember spending hours and hours and hours uh, doing all the stuff I needed to to go into this, this crazy hard fight. And I remember it felt like work. 
It's like you had to go and beat all these monsters repetitively to gain all this experience, to level up to the highest level you could. You had to do all these crazy little side quests that were really pretty boring and uninteresting in order to get the best items and the best gear, in order to, to, to get as strong as you possibly can for this fight. It was exhausting. And I'm going to be honest, um, I, I didn't, like, it was something I wasn't like I was having fun. It's one thing is you're having fun in it. Like, I wasn't having fun. It was a chore. And I was doing it. It was so boring. Right? And I spent, it was like one summer, I spent a couple weeks working on this just to go fight this bad guy that wasn't even necessary in the game, right? And I remember the time where I sat down and I did this fight. And in the end, it was this tough battle, right? I had to do all the right moves and do all the right things at the right time, right? And, and, and it was a fight of legends for me. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And then I remember I did it. The big bad guy that I was so fixed on killing flashed red and then disappeared Yes! I did it! And then I remember the moment in which it stopped and the game went back to the menu and I was like, mm, that was it. Nothing happened. Literally the most uneventful, uninteresting climax of, of, of a fight for no reason. And, and, and I was like, huh. And I turned the game off and almost immediately I felt the sense of regret. Like, I was so disappointed. I had just spent all this time, all this energy, my, you know, big chunk of my summer on something that doesn't even matter. And I turned it off, and I never played the game again. I didn't get anything from it. I didn't help anyone from it. And it changed nothing in the real world. And I just knew, I just, I, I, all I knew is I did it. And that was, that was the most of what I got. Right, so, so this is what I believe. This is what I believe, is that when you die, it'll be like that moment when you're turning the game off, when you power everything down, and you will look at your whole life, and you're going to consider what you've done and what you cared about and what you focused on, and we might wonder, we might wonder, why did I spend so much time thinking about that? Why did I get so caught up about that? Why was I so worried in this season? Why was I so fixated on this relationship, on these problems, on these conflicts, on these issues? Why did I care so much about that promotion or getting that job? Why was I so fixated on that? Because all of a sudden, you turn the game of life off, and you are going to see all of eternity and the grandness that it is and you are going to see God on his throne, and you are going to see Jesus smiling at you, and then you will finally see what real treasure is. And you're going to look back and wonder, you might wonder and consider, why did I spend it myself, why did I spend any energy investing in any other kind of treasure? Jesus wants us to be people who see life through eternity's lens. That as we make a decision, we are looking at eternity and wondering how, how do I best impact that? That when we fix our eyes on him and on God's promises and on the gospels, right, it changes what's important to us. It changes what we treasure most. It changes what we care about. And all of a sudden, it will change what we do.
It'll change the way we live. Do you see life through eternity's lens? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus and on his promises and on his teachings and on his priorities and on his kingdom? When the game of life shuts off, will you think, yay, I tried to live a life that mattered, investing my time and energy in the things that mattered? Or will you wonder, why did I spend so much time worrying, thinking, trying it? for some goals or aspirations or applying energy into some worries that maybe just don't matter when you consider life through the lens of eternity. When you live life through the lens of eternity, your priorities will be different. You are going to worry about the less about the things that temporarily affect you. And, and mind you, I'm using that word carefully. You will, it'll matter less. I'm not saying it won't matter. It matters less. And you will care more about the things that impact you eternally. Your priorities change. It will change. I'm often asked, uh, why did I leave full-time ministry? I was in full-time ministry for many years, uh, almost, almost, I was about seven years in full-time ministry. I was in total in ministry for about 10 years. Uh, and and it's, it's an exciting story, right? Full of both exciting and boring plot twists. Right? And I'd be happy to explain it and expound on it. But, there's, but there's, I'm not going to go the full detail right now, but I'll share uh, one, one piece of that story this morning. Um, after a season of a lot of fasting, a lot of prayer, a lot of surrender, it took about six, it was about six months to nine months season in which I was uh, focusing and trying to hear, what is it, God, that you want? I felt God lay a gigantic question on my heart. God asked me, and the question that I felt like I was wrestling with was this, where are you most useful to the kingdom of God right now? Where can you position yourself to be most useful for the kingdom of God right now? Right, given what my strengths were, what my unique strengths were, what my unique skills were, what my unique opportunities, the things that I was going on in life, where I was in life, what needs I had to fulfill, all the things that were going on, what were my resources, were all of it. Where could I best place myself, best angle myself, best invest myself to have the greatest impact for God's kingdom? It had nothing to do with me burning out of ministry. It had nothing for me belittling ministry or just feeling like it wasn't for me anymore. None of that. It was a very, very, very hard decision for, for me to make. And to this day, I'm 100% invested in, in the church. I'm, I'm unapologetically pro-pastor. I want to support pastors. I want to empower pastors, right? None of that. It's nothing about me thinking it's, it's less valuable or less more. Nothing like that. And where was I burned out, right? For me, it was an entirely, it was a strategic question. And ultimately, it was, a, it was a, a decision that I think was very strategic. And it's a question I think everyone should ask based on their own skill sets, their own priorities, their own strengths. It's a question we should ask when we live our life through the lens of eternity. Where do you, where are you personally, given who you are, given your capacities, given your strengths, given your assets, everything you have, all that God has entrusted to you, uh, where are you most useful for God's kingdom? Where should you invest your time, resources, and gifts? 
that question is going to become more prominent to you, more important to you, and it's, there, it's going to become a bigger focus for you the more you live your life through the lens of eternity. And it will become more irrelevant to you the more you fix your eyes on the things that are temporary. That question is going to matter a lot less to you when really your eyes are just fixed on your life here and now. Ask yourself that question in your relationships with people, with your skills and with your resources, with your money and your assets, with your time and your energy. God, how can I best steward these opportunities right now? What can I do? How can I best serve you with these opportunities right now? Where can I position myself to be most useful in your kingdom? The more you fix your eyes on God, the more that question is going to matter to you. Um, in, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis addresses this very issue. And this is what he, is what he I love C.S. Lewis. You guys have a fun fact about me. Our, our youngest child, Lewis, is named after C.S. Lewis, right? I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, but this is what he writes. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Right? The more we fix our eyes on heaven, the more useful we become. Because the more willing we are to take risks, the more our love is centered less on ourselves and more on others. The more we're willing to, to give up. And, 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 and the contrary, right? The more we fix our eyes on earth, the less effective we become because there is fear of what we might lose. There is fear about about. about this life and trying to protect it and ensuring that things don't go wrong. And this is something I have to hold on to. And we become less and less effective for God and his kingdom. What are your eyes fixed on right now? Are you looking at life through eternity's lens? Or are you caught up in the wrong things? Staring and gazing at something that your eternal self might regret. Ultimately, it's about having that right prescription to life. Right? And, and if you've ever get into a place in your life where things just feel off, that your view of the world just feels distorted, that your actions feel distorted, that if you feel extra tensions and the things that should matter in your life seem distant and the things that don't matter in your life seem overly present in your life, if it looks like your life is distorted, check your prescription. Go back to the doctor and make sure you have the right lens, that your eyes are fixed on the right treasures in life because it will direct everything else you do. Let's pray together.
Father, God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the ways that you challenge us. God, I ask that you do only what you can do, Lord, and that these words, that your word would sink into our heart. That it might change the way we think. It might challenge us. It might, it might expose treasures we have that we shouldn't have. It might expose uh, the, the places we are putting our gaze on that we shouldn't, Lord, that, we, that you might then step in, that you might challenge that, God, so that we might redirect our focus and our priorities. Lord, we surrender that to you, Lord. I surrender that request to you that for each one of us, God, we might get a healthier heart by focusing our eyes on the right things. Work through us today, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.